0: Welcome to Uncorrelated Minds with Kevin Kalaki of Cinecera Capital. I'm Patrice Sikora. This is the first episode of Kevin's podcast series. It's always informative and it's fun because this is where we learn about Kevin from Kevin. And let's start at the beginning. Kevin, why did you decide to work in financial services anyway?
1: Thanks, Patrice. uh, The story actually goes back to my college days. I had a summer. Back in Austin, and I had to find an internship, or as my father would say, do something productive with your life.
0: <laughs> and
1: a friend of mine was actually interning with a local Merrill Lynch advisor. And so I came on as a second intern in his group, and he was a certified financial planner, a CFP. Like most internships in the financial industry at that time, it was an unpaid internship. So therefore, I had to go intern from about seven o'clock in the morning to two, three in the afternoon. And then I left. Walked back through the heat to my car and went and actually was a marshal at uh, what is called Lions Municipal Golf Course here in Austin, Texas, locally affectionately referred to as Muni. And so I ended up marshalling and filling water jugs there until dark every night. I did it over again. So it was a rinse and repeat that summer. And ironically enough, that summer, we had a stretch of probably 64 days in a row that were 98, 99 and above. When I say rinse and repeat, I, I literally mean that.
0: Wow. Well, hey, at least you weren't rained out at the golf club. You you got very to, true. Here. Very you got true. To, Lots okay. of golf to be played. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The company, name of your company, Sinisera Capital, rather unusual. So, where did that come from?
1: Sure. When I was starting the the firm here about two years ago, I really and even before that, I was trying to find a name that would uh, actually reflect who we are and what we do as a company, but more so, what are we doing for our clients and I was fortunate enough to have a father who was very in tune to historical content and and really historical anecdotes. And he told me years ago that the Latin roots for the word sincere are sine and sera, and it actually means without wax. And so, back in uh, Roman and Greek times, when sculptors would make marble statues and sculptures for their patrons, should they break or crack that during? The process of building it, the ones who were most true to their craft in delivering a pure or a true sculpture would start over on a new piece of marble. But the ones who were unscrupulous would melt down the wax and mix it into the marble dust and conceal the flaw. And so, when these artists would deliver these statues or, or sculptures to their patrons, they would have to make a. They would be required to make the statement that it is in fact sine sera or without wax. Nice. And I thought that really went right along with who I am at the core, but also being a fiduciary in both the legal sense and the sense of our hearts, the status of our hearts as we serve mm-hmm. our families, making sure that their interests are first and not ours.
0: Which brings up the question, who is your client?
1: Who is our client? That's a big question. Yes. Big, big question, because I, I would say there's there's really two Qualifications uh, to become a client at at CinaSera Capital. One is we exclusively serve what is called the ultra high net worth community. Those are families that have 30 million or more in investable assets, uh, not necessarily all with us, but that's really where their asset level is. And then the second is, and I think this is more not necessarily a qualification, but they tend to have a level of complexity in their lives around their estate plan and their tax planning and and more importantly, around their alternative investments. And so we have a large focus on helping our clients not only evaluate and uh, make decisions around which alternative investments they choose to invest in, but also tracking what they do have and monitoring the relationships that are already in place. And then I would say maybe even that tacking on a third piece of that, Maybe this is circumstantial, but nearly all of the families we serve are self-made. So they started in a position where no one handed them anything and they've managed to build wonderful companies. Some of them have exited from those companies, some of them have been corporate execs, but they've all risen up from a state of making things happen themselves and with the people around them, their, their community and their families have always been a big part of that too. And so it's fun to not just serve those individuals, but their families as well.
0: When you're talking to a potential client, are you looking for them to, to to mesh with you, and hopefully you mesh with them? I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is, do you accept everybody?
1: Hey, good question. We don't. We have a very limited number of spots. So we, when I started Cenesis Capital, it was a response to the sales industry. In, in the wealth management industry i think in, there's there's so many times where it's go find them pick them up drag them through the door charge them a fee and go find another one it's the maybe a poor analogy for this podcast but the clubbing seals go club a seal drag it in and go get another one and that's a, a such a horrible approach yeah. to having a relationship and on i've always said that the advice i've given to to other individuals or you know people who are looking to hire Uh, someone to do what we do is if you are given financial advice, translate it into if your doctor was giving you medical advice. And if it sounds like quackery, it's bad financial advice. If your doctor says, if you go and you have a headache and your doctor does a complete checkup on you and he says, well, here's the good news. You have a headache. Just go home and take some Advil. Well, that's, that makes a lot of sense. But if he tries to prescribe you some opioid for a headache that has no underlying conditions, and you might wonder about that a little bit. I would think so. But getting back to your question, the we, we don't have the ability to serve everyone. We want to serve a small number of families that are really looking to centralize their intellectual capital, their financial capital, and to some extent, they're what I call the community capital, the piece of their wealth that they're using to better the communities in which they live.
0: Is there something you look for in them when you're talking to them the first few times?
1: The number one thing that I look for is that they understand the term sine sera, so that, that that they are actually individuals of sincerity themselves. And I've experienced interacting with many different people throughout my career. I'll, I'll give a quick nod to them, and maybe I'll do this a little later on. But my, my former partner from Merrill Lynch in the earlier part of my career, we actually paired up and I asked him early on, I said, do you specialize in anything? He said, no, but one thing I don't specialize in is jerks. <laughs> I, I, I agreed like with that. him. It, it doesn't matter the level of wealth that an individual has. If the people that tend to gravitate towards us ha- have a, a general feel of sincerity about them.
0: Nice. Does that translate to your team and who is on your team?
1: Yes, it does. It, and it's a prerequisite for being on the team is, is not just saying that, yes, I will act in our client's best, best interest. But when you are around People who are built as fiduciaries and have that sincere component to them—it's—it's it's pretty obvious. And my first hire early on was uh, was Adam Packer. He's our chief analyst, and as you might expect, he's a very very bright individual. Uh, I'll throw out some designations: CFA, CAIA, economics background, and and. In undergrad, Hmm. and and he poor Adam, I didn't actually know Adam. Unlike Connie, my second employee, I didn't know Adam before uh, he became into the hiring process. But he came from a referral from a good friend, and so I put him through four different interview processes. (laughs) We we do a process here called the Berkman Profile. And the Berkman Profiles, it's kind of if you if you're used to like Myers Briggs or a DISC profile, similar to that, but it goes into more depth. It, It was developed by Roger Berkman. And the consultant who runs that for me is a guy named Jim. And, and so I, poor Adam put these four interviews. He does this Berkman. I get this feedback on the Berkman. I have the call with Jim and I said, Jim, all right, what do I need to know about Adam because it's a it's a very in-depth personality profile, not just talking about who a person is or who they present themselves to be, but where they go in times of stress and how they react in times of success and things of that nature. And the first thing Jim said to me is Kevin, Adam is exactly who he says he is. Oh wow. And so that to me was a sign that Adam was an absolute sincere individual. And, and that's almost the qualification. That's the number one qualification that you would need to be an employee here. And in fact, he recently became a partner at the firm too.
0: Congratulations!
1: Thank you. And, and having him on board, finding that early on, then we we're able to work through any areas where we might have a little friction, just personality types, but in, intentionally so because I need people around our clients who are able to think differently, especially than me, having a complementary skill set and having the ability to disagree on things is what really produces great outcomes. And I would say the same thing with Connie Sullivan. So Connie Sullivan is I actually have known Connie for a few, few years before she came on and joined me and she's head of our family office services. And, uh, and so I didn't have to put her through a, a four interview process, but did do a Berkman on, on Connie as well. And, and same thing, we worked together on the finance committee at the Austin Opera and really got to know her there and, and learn about her character and really how she thought about taking care of the opera and taking care of of the organization that she was serving. And so many people serve in those positions just for the notoriety or to get to put it on their website. But she was really in there digging around and really wanted what was best and wasn't scared to bring up things that needed to be heard when a lot of people didn't want to hear them. And to me, that was a wonderful quality to have and someone I know that would always would not remain silent if uh, she saw something in one of my blind spots.
0: Now, you mentioned family services. What do you offer in the, in the firm? What, what side and two sides here, three sides? What is it that you offer? Sure. I, I think the most important thing is the when you start from a
1: 30,000-foot view, our clients typically start around that $25, $30 million range, and then some of their net worths range up well over $100 million. The most important thing that they had sought us out for was the ability to have one group who basically aggregated everything together, all of their investments, all of their planning from an estate planning, a tax planning standpoint, so that they could get a clarity around their picture and make better better decisions. And so part of that is family office services, which is the division Connie runs. That is, typically what you would say is the the business of running your personal life like a business so keeping books on your personal entities llcs family limited partnerships potentially individual business holdings although those are usually kept at the at the corporate or the business level and then paying bills uh, a lot of our our families that we serve have multiple homes and they travel quite a bit and they can't always be in the location that a bill might hit and Connie really leads up that group and and in another group behind her that does all of the work to help those families make sure that their life gets maintained so they can focus on the things that are most important to them.
0: You mentioned clarity. Now tell me about your business philosophy and clarity, confidence, and purpose
1: clarity confidence and purpose it's interesting because the that's another one of those conversations that that I had early on as I was starting the firm the focus of or, or the the outcome of having those three was really at the end of the day you know we do yes we we do investments for clients yes we help them with you know, their estate planning and their tax planning, and we connect with professionals and we help them pay their bills and we help them choose alternative alternative investments. But ultimately, what are they getting?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When they're done with all of that, and we've guided them through that process, it, what they're really seeking is, is the what is the purpose for their dollar? And that, that may not be the purpose in terms of ESG investing, like I want a green energy purpose, but is I have goals in my life and I want to ensure that my wealth is aligned to most efficiently and effectively achieve those goals. So I want to make sure that this, if I'm investing for something, I'm not going to spend a dollar on for at least 15 years, then both practically speaking and mathematically speaking, that is more of an equity type investment. And so really the clarity, confidence, and purpose, bringing that all back down from from 30,000 feet is the clients are seeking clarity they they really want to understand what is my entire financial picture looks like when they have that clarity then they have the confidence they have the confidence to make great decisions they have the confidence to write a big check to charity they have the confidence to make intergenerational gifts to children and grandchildren knowing that it's not going to, going to affect their lifestyle and uh, ultimately when they have that confidence, that's when we can align those the, each dollar with the purpose that it's intended for in their lives.
0: On your website, you list firm's values, the firm's values. And I found one item there especially intriguing. You say there are no placeholder people at Cinesera. Tell me about that.
1: Sure. So uh, the ultimate goal here was that we were going to from the get go when it was just me uh, sitting here <laughs> was that I needed partners who found fulfillment in their roles in because we are a small firm, we will stay small intentionally and I say small not from a dollar amount but from a number of clients that we serve. I was really looking to find someone where this was a destination career for them. and along that as well by the way, Connie is also recently a partner in the firm. so there are no placeholder positions here because now they're actually partners in the firm so oh yeah they expressed to me that this is this is what they want to be doing and this was the job they had been looking for. And so I wanted to foster that and make sure that when someone woke up every morning and sat in their seat, or in this case, sat in their home office post COVID, (laughs) was that that's where they found fulfillment in their life, because there's nothing worse having worked at large corporations, there's nothing worse to going and sitting in a chair where you're completely unfulfilled.
0: We had spoken before this podcast, and you told me you were a student of the business. What did you mean?
1: So I think another one of our values in here is that we we are people of continuous learning. All of us, uh, both Adam, Connie, and I, and even even the people that we interact with, our state planning attorneys, our CPAs, uh, tend to gravitate towards the people who are continually reading and learning and studying and writing about their industry. And not because it's something they feel they should do from a marketing standpoint, but really twofold. One is they want to better themselves and two is they want to better, better others. And really by writing and sharing that knowledge, instead of, instead of keeping it in is one way to do that. We all get to share knowledge with each other through our writings. And now through something like this podcast, I've got to drive into the office every day. You know, Austin used to be a small town that I grew up in, but it is now a big city. And so I've got a good, you know, 30 minutes. It's not terrible, but that allows me time to, to really ingest a lot of the industry-specific information, even things outside of it. I listen to a lot of podcasts along the way. A couple of my favorites are Capital Allocators with Ted Seides. So maybe not so industry-specific, but The Tim Ferriss Show is one I really like because he brings on many different people from different backgrounds, and you get to learn from that. Hey, Tim, haven't seen you in a while. Hope hope you're listening to the podcast at some point, and I hope you see the... uh, the effects you've had on on this business as you listen to it. The Knowledge Project from Shane Parrish is is a great one. And then Against the Rules from Michael Lewis is a a fantastic podcast. And you'll notice a theme that goes through there. It's not just the the capital allocation, but it's really understanding people. So it's part of our business. And what I really believe is what makes Sina Capital different is that our investment philosophy didn't come from the mathematical side the statistical side, that's what we use to solve for the portfolio. But the portfolio came from the behavioral economic side. And I would say if, if you were to talk about all of the continuous learning, we do some of my favorites are Adam Grant at Penn and Andrew Lowe's who did adaptive markets and Ed Shin and Alex and Damien over at RS. Really, Ray Dalio is probably a, a name that most people know But really, I would say the one person, and it may be even down to the one book that has shaped this firm the most, is uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And and more specifically, the the prospect theory, which is, uh, I'm going to do a bad job summarizing this, but it's probably the easiest way to do it, is that human beings feel the pain of a loss twice as much as they feel the pleasure of a gain. That is what drove me to create Not not just our allocation strategy, but also how do we approach clients in terms of anything? Because that's not just money. That's that's losing a family member. It's losing a pet. It's losing anything. You you feel that twice as much as was when you gain one. And so, really setting that structure up around and learning and understanding from all of those people. There's just so much knowledge out there today, and, and we get to absorb that. That's that's really being a a student of our business, but more so being a student of our clients. Right.
0: All right, Kevin. When you're not working, what do you do for fun?
1: Well, I have five children, <laughs>
0: and one is new,
1: and one is new, yes. three weeks old tomorrow. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. And they they are wonderful. They're wonderful kids. More so, my wife is just a saint for for really making sure that w- when I'm here at work during the day that they're staying on track and not starting a tribe and and revolting. (laughs) But really, I I would say, when I'm not at work, I'm studying, listening to podcasts, I do a lot of reading on all different areas. One thing I think that most people don't know about me is that I do a lot of woodworking, in particular furniture making. And it, it actually also goes back to my father, is he taught me how to woodwork when I was younger. And then he learned from his grandfather and my grandfather learned from his grandfather. So it's very much passed down through the family and just that that's kind of my my place to go do to get away and unplug and although there are a lot of power tools there's there's a quiet
0: that you find in that the focus and the work alone. And actually I was going to ask do you have any of the tools that your grandfather or your great grandfather had? I actually do. Yes. All right.
1: For those who are familiar with Monopoly, my grandparents lived on California Avenue. My sorry my great grandparents <laughs> lived on California Avenue. That's a yellow I believe. Don't hold me to that. <laughs> so in Atlantic City, they had basically a walk, walk-up basement that was down below where a lot of things were stored because it's an island. And in the winter there, my grandfather would take with his with his father, my grandfather, great-grandfather, even my father remembers this as a kid. They would take the the tools, because they would rust easily, especially in Atlantic City, which was very salty air. Oh,
0: right. Salt, Salt air, air. Yeah. And
1: they would wrap them, they would smother them in petroleum jelly and wrap them in newspaper. And then come the spring, my dad remembers going over there and opening them up and washing off all the petroleum jelly and getting ready for the next project, which was usually something to do with the house on, on California Avenue. Wow. And I actually still have one of those hand planers that was my great, great grandfather's.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. The woodworking, I mean, you said it was furniture, but from what you told me, it's pretty substantial furniture. You're not just making a little table here or a little table there. You made some big stuff. Yeah, I actually my my first really complex
1: project that took some skill that I hadn't done before making a small table or a box or something like that was uh, actually made a bed for my wife for our wedding and it's a full mortise and tenon. Uh, It has no screws, no nails in the bed, and and it's all put together and we, we are still, that is still the bed today. When our first child was born, I made a dresser and a changing table for her we're still using that now on baby number five <laughs> and uh and then a lot other projects around the home i built a mud room and did a lot of custom trim work in the house and now that my my oldest son is seven he's starting to get interested in woodworking so he and i actually made his first workshop bench about two three weeks ago nice. so actually maybe a little longer than that because the baby wasn't here yet
0: now with all this going on in your life do you have time to be active in the community
1: i do i I've, So I grew up in Austin and my wife did as well. And she's actually, uh, she's a sixth generation Central Texan. So her family has been around, quote unquote, here, I'll give you a Texas term, these parts uh, for a very long time. And and real early on in my career, I had a friend that was volunteering with an organization called Hospice Austin. And uh, this was maybe a year or two into my career. And he said, hey, this is a great organization. You need to come along. You can completely support this and everything that you do. And and I went and just fell in love with it and the work they do. I, I always call Hospice Austin the nurses and doctors angels on earth yeah. because yeah. what they're doing is, is absolutely incredible. So I've been with them for 13 years. I still chair the investment committee for them. I think they're going to kick me off soon because they're not supposed to be doing it that long. Let some other people come in and do that work too. I, I helped start up the capital area dental foundation and that was actually a nod to my father who's a dentist and serving the underserved dental needs in the central texas area and formerly on the the austin opera board and then just joined the investment committee for the diocese of austin
0: so you certainly are active that's outstanding what is your idea of success
1: executing on our firm values because when I created the firm values, it was, it was actually a response to a conversation with a good friend of mine, who's the CEO of an organization here in Texas. And we were sitting and having breakfast one morning and, and setting up the company and doing all the legal work. And he looked at me and he said, well, what are the values of the company? I said, well, they're like my values. And he said, well, no, no, you need to write them down. I said, well, why? He said, if you don't write them down, establish them and make them known, then what you tolerate will become the values of your company. Those, if you read through them on the website, you can see it, it, you know, it talks about the first one, our culture and our values are in our name. That goes back to Sina, Sarah being, being who we are right. and what we do. We're professional problem solvers and fiduciaries, people of continuous learning, partners who care for themselves, better care for clients. Uh, big one is happiness is a choice and joy is a state of being. A great one here, actually, I'll say I stole this one a bit from uh, Jeff Kadosky, who founded National Instruments. We're on the Austin Opera Board together, but he said, when working with your clients and partners, assume noble intent. And so that means assume that those people are all pointed in the same direction. And from there, you will be able to make the best decisions, both for the firm and for your clients. Every human being is valuable. There's no placeholders. You saw that one. This is my favorite because working at a large, large bank, no names named here. It's not my job is an unacceptable (laughs) excuse here. Really, there's there's a few more of them. But ultimately, I think success for us is executing on these because I believe success in the business will come from the fact that we've never veered from these.
0: And then what is your your personal proudest achievement?
1: Oh, I know we're not supposed to say kids. Oh, I know. I um, told you don't
0: say the kids. You can say don't the kids. say kids. It's don't fine. say kids. It's fine.
1: No, I, so I, I would say this from a business perspective, it is. At the time we had four kids, stepping out and starting this business. When we did, uh, we had no idea COVID would hit shortly after launching the business. Really, a testament to my wife first of all being the rock standing by me and, and getting this business going and then, and then the core families that came with us to get this thing started have been absolutely wonderful and so everyone always says you're you're self-made but i can tell you that uh that you're not there's always people around you who help you now the achievement is yours but there's always people who are willing to to give you a hand and, and help you along
0: and how can someone reach you
1: probably the best way is the website reach out there all of our conf- contact information is there obviously at the end of the podcast you're going to hear you know some more information about how to reach us that's com. s-i-n-e-c-e-r-a-capital.com uh, so that's how you'll find us here also the you know most of our clients come to us via referral uh, we're happy to hear from you over the phone but any way you can find us that probably the best way is the website
0: <laughs> okay and that is kevin kilaki of Cinesera Capital. To make sure you get every episode of Kevin's podcast, Uncorrelated Minds, make certain you subscribe using the subscribe button right on this page. Of course, you can also share with the share button. Thank you for listening to the Uncorrelated Minds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the show notes page for links to further information at www.cinesaracapital.com.
1: Cinesera Capital is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Cinesera and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice, and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor.